Peter King here, reminding you to subscribe and listen to all new and archived episodes of the MMQB podcast with Peter King, as well as the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer and the 10 Things MMQB podcast. It was week six and everything went wrong in Green Bay. The Panthers can't play defense, but on the other hand, Dak Prescott keeps getting better. The Seahawks somehow survive. Matty Ice, Brady is 2-0, and we saw the worst flag in NFL history thrown today. All that and so much more in this week's the MMQB 10 Things Podcast. The MMQB presents the MMQB 10 Things Podcast, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your hosts, Andy Benoit and Gary Gramling. Hello and welcome to the MMQB 10 Things Podcast. We are talking week six because it just happened. Pretty uh, pretty upsetting week here. Uh, I am Gary Gramling, by the way, and I'm here with Andy Benoit, as always. Andy, how'd, uh, how'd everything go for you today? I think upsetting is the right word for it because what I want to begin the show with is a quick bone to pick with you. We Ooh. record this yeah, we record this podcast late on Sunday nights, almost wee hours of Monday morning. Mm-hmm. And I watch the games on DVR because I have articles to write, and I get the articles done. I get to the Sunday night game on DVR. I get to all the games on DVR. The Sunday night game, Texans-Colts went to overtime, and the overtime, <laughs> yep. I could tell, was going to bleed into our usual start time on the podcast. And so I texted you. Uh, hey, I'm starting the OT, and I told you here's where I'm at in the or here's where I'm at in the overtime. I'll join you as soon as the podcast begins. And then I wisely did not read your text back. I had a third party read the text, screen it for me to yeah. tell me if I'm okay. And they said, "Yeah, you're okay. Don't read the text." And then I got really angry with you afterwards because I did read the text, and you know what you said? You said pretty short overtime. Was your it was reply. a pretty short overtime, right? Which means you spoil, if I had read that, which I, again, I'm too smart to do that. I had this issue with Klemko last year. He would do this <laughs> thinking it's funny, and I would never read his texts on Sundays. Why would you, that, that, that ruins the game. That, you ruined the overtime if I had read that. No, no, no. No, 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 no. What do you mean, no? Be, because I was trying to answer the question while also not ruining the overtime. I was going to no. ruin it a little bit. You Just, needed some no, sort of... No, no, no. It, it, it was it was so the game ended on the second possession. Yeah, and so if I'm watching OT and you say pretty short overtime and they and the Colts punt, then I'm probably thinking the Texans are going to score in this possession because Gary said it's a pretty short overtime. And or, now I'm watching the thing through. Or a, Brock Osweiler's going to throw a pick six. Just say okay. That could have gone either way. Just say you need to just say okay. All right, we got to get to the show. But that was, uh, right. was horrible by you, <laughs> and it's why I don't read texts from my colleagues on Sundays. I thought I was incredibly thoughtful with that text. For the record, no, I'm genuinely you were not. hurt right now, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> you need to feel something because uh, no, you did it exactly wrong. You could almost couldn't have done it worse. Almost. <laughs> it's almost like I've designed the Green Bay Packers offense. Hmm. Yeah, very ah, that's good. the best segue I could do off of that. Number one, and I—I I don't know. This is this is topic forever for the last. Oh, I don't know. Probably almost like a calendar year now. I think that yep. Broncos game last year was was right after Halloween, if I remember correctly. Uh, the the Packers—they can't score points anymore, 
And this year, it's especially disturbing because, one, they have Jordy Nelson, and, and the thought was maybe, okay, well, Jordy Nelson will get back, and there will be a sort of domino effect or a domino effect effect, and, and that would sort of set everything up like it used to be for the Packers. On top of that, Aaron Rodgers has like nine seconds to throw on every play, and they still they can't move the ball with any sort of consistency. They, they got completely outclassed by the Cowboys at Lambeau Field today. I don't know, Andy, what's what's going on with this team? Well, first of all, uh, it's the same issue. It's the man coverage issue. Dallas played a lot of man coverage. Green Bay couldn't get open from it. That's nothing new. We've talked about that. Local markets in, in, uh, around Milwaukee, around Green Bay, around Madison, they're starting to talk about that. Mike McCarthy's getting tired of that. But that's yeah. a real thing. And that game last year against Denver, that was – that was not what turned this thing around. They were struggling against man coverage well before that. They just happened to have been winning their game still. Yeah. And it's it caught up to them. This this has been a, a some, uh, an immense problem for a long time, even back when the Packers were having success last season. So that's part A. That hasn't been fixed yet. Uh, part B is that Aaron Rodgers has become a different quarterback, and I think it's partly in response to what's going on with part A. He, he does not... Uh, play with any sort of rhythm at all anymore and he was never a truly rhythmic quarterback he's not Breeze or Brady like that he's more of a freestyler but he's Mm -hmm. become so much of an outside the lines colorer that there are times where the play demands that you do color inside the lines the play works and he doesn't give it a chance there's such a randomized flow to the way he's playing and What's happened now is I think it's compromised his accuracy. Now he's really not a rhythmic QB. Not only is he not playing on time, but he's not throwing the ball the same way. And that's the only thing I can under I could surmise is that the lack of timing, which has come from all these things, and it's it's now fallen onto him, and he's exacerbated all of it. Uh, it's starting to impact the way he physically throws the ball because he's not remotely close to the accurate passer that he was a year ago. And the numbers are or more than a year ago, and the numbers are starting to really reflect that. That too now. Yeah. The one play that was really upsetting to see today. All these Aaron Rodgers interceptions over the years, it seems like it's always, oh, it's a tip pass, or you know, yeah. maybe he forced something, but you could kind of see, oh, you know, he was giving his receiver a chance to make a play. The Barry Church interception, it was Barry Church, right? Yes, it was. Who, and it was a very basic cover, co- what I believe, it's hard to know on TV, but it looked like to me a very basic cover three sky rotation, meaning Church started out as a split safety like cover two mm-hmm. and rotated down to cover three. It's as basic as it gets. Every team does this all the time. And Rodgers never had any awareness of Church at all. I agree with that. Was, that's, uh, so I, now he's not seeing the field clearly on top of not throwing the balls clearly. I cannot remember an Aaron Rodgers interception like that, where where he was just fooled by the coverage, and it wasn't you know it wasn't a it wasn't an incredible you know a devious trap coverage. It was just sort of he didn't see a, a defender who was standing right there. That yep. was uh, that was disturbing. He's an uncomfortable quarterback right now for sure, and the question then becomes, what do you do to help him? 
because that Packers offense isn't – and the reason they struggle against man coverage, it's not set up to create easy completions like that. They don't do a lot of pick routes. Uh, they'll do wide receiver screens, but you're not going to run your offense that way. Yeah, it's 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 if you struggle against man coverage, you rely on your receivers to win in that kind of system. And if they're not doing that, then it's not going to help the quarterback play back on time. It has to come to Eddie Lacy and running the football. That that has to be the way they get out of it. And look, Aaron Rodgers is still the best pure talent of a thrower in the NFL. So they could get out of this thing next week but they clearly have something they have to work out of. They could get out of it two years from now, too. I mean, this could get worse before it gets better. We don't know. Well, we're actually going to have more on the Packers later in the show in the newly minted reader interactivity topic section. What are we going to call it, Andy? Well, we'll yeah, that out. I'm thinking maybe we should have come up with it before. <laughs> uh, maybe the thunder round, since this <laughs> damn lightning round seems to be sticking around each week. We will, my point is, we'll get to more Packers later in the show. You guys sent us some good questions. We'll touch on it then. Uh, you know who is looking very comfortable at quarterback is is Dak Prescott. And we did a MMQB 10 Things podcast poll. This was actually before today's game. We asked you who should be the starter once Romo is healthy. And the vote came back 66% in favor of Dak Prescott. Now, you had said last week you were kind of leaning towards when Romo's ready to go, plug Romo in. Do you uh, do you rethink that after today? You have to rethink it, whether you change your mind or not. Um, it's Prescott deserves that question to be fully honored. And he's played a little bit uh, – he's played better – to a certain degree each week. He, he's not as sharp as he appears on the surface at times still, but he hasn't had to be yeah. that sharp. Yep. And so, and he's not the reason they're winning. He's a puzzle piece to the equation. So it's it's not like, uh, if you take Prescott out of the line, the only thing you really lose in theory that, that Romo cannot give you is the mobility factor. The read option stuff. The read about, option yeah. stuff, but what they're also doing now is they're incorporating bootlegs and the threat of bootlegs yeah. into their run game, and that's helping control edge defenders, which is making Ezekiel Elliott's life that much easier. Yep. And so you don't get that element with Romo. The fact that they're doing the empty formations with Prescott is that speaks not uh, that's a bad omen for Romo because that's the one value he could bring that in theory yeah. Prescott couldn't is controlling the game at the line of scrimmage. Press or Romo's going to be better than Prescott at that, but Prescott's been adequate so far. So I don't know. I I'm like that Romo. We get another week to I get another week to dance around this, don't I? Because Romo's not going to play in week seven for what I've heard. It sounds like it's a week eight or nine decision anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you would think so. But yeah, I like how it's, Jerry uh... Jones keeps kind of wearing it on his sleeve, like he's pulling a Brett Favre and almost thinking all this out loud for us. Well, look, I uh, I was working at the paper in uh, in Hartford, the Hartford Current, when this all went down with Brady and Bledsoe. And, and I'm not going to say this is a Brady-Bledsoe situation because, you know, Dak Prescott isn't going to be Brady. I'll go out on a limb and, and say that he will not be one of the three or four best quarterbacks of all time. But the theory back then was that, oh, Belichick will just go with the caveat that Bledsoe has to be 100% healthy. And, yeah. you know, oh, that's that's going to be so clever because now as soon as Brady crumbles, he can say, oh, Bledsoe's 100% healthy and, and send him in there. 
but it became clear by like December that year that like, oh, Brady's ready, or excuse me, Bledsoe's ready. He's 100% healthy, and they just, you know, they just didn't make the switch. And obviously yeah. that ended up being the the correct move. Well, and, and the decision got easier each week that year because Brady continued yeah. to win games, and so it gets it gets easier. It, this whole thing gets more complicated if Dallas suddenly goes 5-3, and three, uh, they're 5-1 and one now. Let's say they go 5-3, and three and, and now they have to make the decision. It's we get another week to kick the can down the road. Let's just put it that way. And I think there's no wrong choice either at this point. These, yeah, they know what they have in Romo and Prescott. They know what's going on on the inside. So I, 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 if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm supporting whatever way they go and trusting Jerry Jones and trusting Jason Garrett here. The people yep. that are saying Jones shouldn't mess us up and here's who I think they should start. Those people have a fraction of the information that the Cowboys have, and that would include you and me, Gary. Yeah. Well, obviously our MMQB 10 Things podcast poll is legally binding, so Dak Prescott will be the starter going forward. There you go. And if you want to do one of these polls, if you want to vote, if you want to make your voice be heard in this democracy that we're in, uh, you can follow Andy, Andy underscore Benoit, or myself, G Grambling underscore SI on Twitter, and we'll sort of throw those out there during the week and, and talk about them on the show here. But with that, we'll move on to topic two. Number two. The Carolina Panthers. More negativity here, uh, building off this Packers opener, but the Panthers are a mess. They're one in five. Uh, This secondary has completely fallen apart. And, you know, I I guess I'll, I'll pose the question to you, Andy. How much of this is the loss of Josh Norman, and how much of this is just the... I don't know. It's like they sort of they did a little tightrope walk with their personnel in the secondary this year. There wasn't much margin of error, and and it seems like they just sort of fell off. They did, and they chose to not re-sign Norman. I think they kind of. I get the sense they maybe ushered Charles Tillman into retirement. Whatever it is, he's not back. He's not in the NFL anymore. Mm-hmm. And they drafted three corners: James Bradbury, Daryl Worley, Bradbury second round, Worley third round, Zach Sanchez in the fifth round. And we knew at some point these are going to become our guys. What they didn't know is they'd have to have those guys be the guys all together all at once this early in the season. Robert McClain was hurt in this game against New Orleans. Bradbury's actually been very good for them for the most part, but he's been hurt the last few weeks. And so it's been Worley and Sanchez highlighting the secondary, and there's your problem right there. Those two guys are not ready, Uh, Sanchez especially. He got picked on a number of times in very basic coverages, and his technique began to crumble at times against the Saints. He, He just looks very uncomfortable. And that's part A. Part B is the safeties. That position's been in flux. Trey Boston's been in and out of the lineup. They're not comfortable with him for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then part C is the defensive line's not getting any kind of pressure at all on the quarterback. Yeah. And so if Norman were here, Gary, I still think we'd be having this discussion. Maybe they'd be 2-4 and four and it wouldn't be quite as bad and they wouldn't have given up 475 yards yeah. two different times already. But it still would not it's not a good defense all around right now and the the only reason they felt they could go with these rookie corners is because they they believe their defensive line would control the flow of the game and and control quarterback's tempo and that has not been the case yeah well cam brought him back today and then uh they squandered it one more time the long field goal wins it for the saints panthers sitting at 1 and 5 and they are running out of daylight here 
They are. And on that, by the way, on that field goal drive, I believe Breeze was eight for eight. Everything was underneath. So it's not just yeah. the secondary. They got torn apart late in the game as well. They 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 went they worked the linebacker level a little bit. They had some run after catch stuff. The Saints did a good job and they to their credit, the Panthers, because of their secondary issues, they kept Shaq Thompson in the game a lot, even against three wide receivers. Mm-hmm. So the Saints realized that they're gonna play their base four three against our three wide and they're a zone defense, we can get our wide receivers matched on their linebackers almost every snap, and that's what they did. The Saints spread out into empty formations, and they went to work on those guys, and it was mainly Thompson who they went to work on, and Brandon Cooks was the beneficiary. It was good coaching by the Saints. They saw weakness, and they made the Panthers pay for it. Yep. Well, we'll put out a poll this week, ask people if they think there's any chance the Panthers are this year's Kansas City Chiefs turning around the 1-5 and five and making a run to the postseason. But right now, things are bleak in Charlotte. At least Cam's back and, and the offense scored some points today. So that's, a, uh, that's better than it was last Monday night. Number three. This was what I thought the game of the day. Falcons at Seahawks. Uh, it was dramatic it was you know everyone had their eyes on on Cowboys Packers but this was the game that uh Seahawks dominated the first half Falcons came storming back in the second half and and ultimately really I mean Seahawks with with the infighting I mean Kyle Shanahan really frustrated this defense Falcons are right there and there was a controversial non- pass interference call at the end of the game. We can maybe touch on that a little bit later, but uh, I wanted to talk to you about two plays, Andy. The two big touchdown passes the Falcons used to tie the game and then take the lead, or it might have been their first one and then take the lead, but it was, they were very similar plays. One of them had, uh, they were both uh, coming on the left side, about 40 yards out. You had the first one, Julio Jones was in the slot. They motioned, it was either Toilolo or one of the backs out wide, where uh, Sherman picked him up. It was, uh, now that I think about it, I think it was definitely Toy Lolo because I remember thinking it was strange that Sherman was so up in Toy Lolo's face on a second and ten play. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, essentially Jones, the slot guy, Julio was the slot guy, uh, just just ran a go route and uh, ended up with a walk-in touchdown. And then they did the pretty much the exact same thing with the personnel reverse. This time Jones is on the outside. Sherm followed him across the middle. Toilolo, the tight end, uh, just ran a little uh, go pattern up the sideline. And, and again, he was even more wide open than Julio was, and, and he walked in for a touchdown. And both times, Earl Thomas gave the exact same look from his uh, from his yeah. spot in the middle of the field when he ran over and tried to salvage the touchdown. And he, he had that same look, just put his hands on his hips and just sort of had the, what is going on? Yep. Well, here's what's going on. First of all, Here's I, here's how Kyle Shanahan probably game planned this week. Probably walked down the hall a, a door, one or two doors to Dan Quinn's office and said, hey, Dan, you coach the Seahawks defense. Yeah. You run the same scheme now. What would you least want to see play structure-wise if, if we were if our offense was playing your defense this week? What do, what do these guys not want to see? And Dan Quinn has that answer. And what Seattle does, they play that matchup cover three that they do so well, and it's where you see Sherman pressing, and the other, you see Brandon Browner or the other guys pressing. They still do it with Shed now. Uh, in cover three, that furthest outside cornerback has the what they call one vertical. So the widest receiver, eligible receiver, he has him 
as vertical as that guy goes, he has to run with that guy. And so if you can put Toilolo out there and then move Jones to the slot, all of a sudden Sherman has Toilolo as the one vertical. So now Toilolo's controlling Sherman and someone else has to take Jones. That's part A. Part B is if Toilolo runs up the field and then drifts his route towards the middle of the field, stems it inside, then Sherman follows him per the rules of the coverage. So mm-hmm. what happens if Jones were to run his route upfield and stem his route outside? These guys essentially crisscross, and that's what's so hard about it. That's how you beat cover three. Adam Gase has done this very well over the years. In fact, Miami killed him with it a few times, and Denver got him with it when Gase was there. This is how teams have attacked the Seahawks. You, If, if one defender, Richard Sherman, has the furthest outside vertical third of the field, then what happens when you put two vertical receivers in that area and that's all they did and uh it's a tough one and and the answer is Richard Sherman has to midpoint it he has to play both receivers and be right between them but if they're crisscrossing then one of those guys is all this is taking place behind Sherman's back Sherman can't see behind himself so it's very difficult it's hard to do and that's why you count on the pass rush winning that's why you count on, and I know he didn't play today, but the guys like Cam Chancellor, you count mm-hmm. on them to be physical uh, with receivers in that five-yard range if they can. Because this, there, Gary, there's no perfect coverage out there. In cover three included, if there were a perfect coverage, then every team would play that coverage on every snap. All of these coverages have flaws and weaknesses, and uh, that's what happens with cover three sometimes. You go two guys deep to the outside in the same zone against one defender. Yeah. I mean, was look that at too halftime. Long? It, was that like a rambling football type of thing? Uh, it was good rambling, though. I liked it's, it. This stuff is hard to do without without film, but it's without uh, a it's, telestrator. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's um, I'm telling you, this is the whole. Na- it's, I wrote this a few weeks ago in my film notes. If you want to beat Seattle, you have to do it through these big plays like Atlanta did. And by the way, the second yeah. one uh, where Toilolo. Uh, ran immediately inside. That was just a blown coverage by Sherman because you don't take the furthest outside receiver unless he goes vertical. So if he runs a quick slant, uh, and I mean like a slant like right away, he becomes the linebacker's guy. The guy has to get a few yards downfield before he's a vertical receiver. Yeah. So Sherman had a tough game. It's for what it sounds like. I, I'm always nervous with this because you want to see the overhead to make sure that's yep. what really happened. But just in theory, you can attack these Seahawks corners outside, but you got to do it with deep passes, and you got to you have to put two guys deep on the same side of the field to do it. Yeah. Yeah, the the Sherman Julio and look, Sherman followed Julio inside a couple of times. I, I know there was some uh, some narrative being thrown out there that uh, it, there was a halftime adjustment where the where the Falcons started putting Julio inside. They were putting Julio inside all game. They were they were motioning tight ends and running backs outside of Julio to to get Sherman off of them. Sometimes Sherman traveled with the with Julio yeah. inside. So it, it, I I don't think uh, sort of the over uh, the overarching strategy changed at any point. I I think. This was just two big plays that uh, that really just fried the the Seahawks, and uh, yeah, they were things were falling apart for them quickly. I mean, this was this was a this was a great game, big momentum swings back and forth. I know you don't believe in momentum, but uh, there were. <laughs> I believe in it. I just don't believe it's the root of it's a product of what happens. The momentum yeah. happened because of these tactical things we're talking about. It wasn't the other way around. Like, hey, we got momentum. Let's call our best play now. Yes, fair enough. 
Fair enough. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this this is a really good game. Again, the Falcons, you know, they they end up losing this, but this was a very encouraging game. I thought they were as impressive in this game as they were last week in Denver. And obviously, I, I can't think of two tougher places to go in back-to-back weeks and coming oh, out of there with a yeah. split. That's uh, that's good news for Atlanta. But, uh, uh, of course, this game ended. Andy, did you see the non-pass interference call? I saw it briefly. I'm dreading it because I know you're going to want to talk about it at length. And <laughs> if I just agree I, I, with you that they missed it, can we move on? And Yeah, no, I, I, I don't I, – I really don't want to talk about it at length. It was a missed call. It wasn't the most blatant missed call. But it's the only one anyone will talk about because obviously it was the biggest play of the game. And I do, uh, you know, I, I I always put some stock into the fact that don't bail the offense out with pass interference flags. And I never quite mind if, if officials sort of sort of lean that way. But this was, uh, I I think Julio Jones makes this catch if if Sherman yeah. doesn't uh, doesn't hook his right arm there. But well, that was it. the NFL, it was... you have to assume they make the – I mean, I watched the Panthers-Saints game today, so I saw three 30-plus-yard pass interference calls in the end zone yeah. in that game. And all of them make sense because the NFL, the guys are going to catch the ball. You have to assume that. And so if the defense does anything the least bit illegal, that the only fair thing to do is to punish the defense for that. Well, the throw was there. Sherman and Thomas were both in the area, so you know it, it was a the coverage was there, but the throw was also there. So that's yeah. again, it, it was a bad call. It was a missed call. You can feel, uh, you can feel you've been uh, wronged if you are a Falcons fan this morning, but also feel good about your team because they're playing really well. Number four. But we'll go. Uh, we'll go topic four now, and we will go out to Foxborough, where the Patriots are now two and zero in the Brady section of the season. This was a 35-17 win, though it wasn't quite as impressive as the numbers would imply. New England had some trouble moving the ball in the first half. They really didn't get it going until the two-minute drill at the end of the first half. They, they got a uh, little touchdown to James White to end the first half. Yeah, I don't know. This this wasn't uh, maybe Tom Brady wasn't quite as angry and mad and and <laughs> seeking yeah, vindication. The thing again. <laughs> exactly. He 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 wasn't uh, seeking revenge with the same sort of uh I don't know, gusto that he was a week ago, but the the defense sort of turned this one around. Uh big safety for uh, Dante Hightower that got him going and then you know, Patriots basically took it. To, took over from there on in, and Andy, you're not going to believe this, but Vontae's perfect cheap shot at someone. Did he really? He did, and Who'd I know get? it's totally out of character for him. Yep. But uh, but yeah, Who, he uh, he took... they hold their breath with him every week in Cincy. By the way, like just knowing, it's... I know a lot of those coaches, and they they. Adam Jones and Vontae's perfect are guys. If you know them, the more you know them, the more you hold your breath. The uh, I, I mean, you talk about bad officiating in this game. This one almost got out of control at the end because both teams were basically ready to fight after every play. It looked like an old Bengal Steelers game. But uh, yeah, perfect, perfect dove away from the play. Just took a random dive at Martellus Bennett's knee, and it was it was a total perfect play because as much as everyone gets, you know, everyone saw the Antonio Brown play because it happened at the ball. But it's those, you know, it, when he when he turns guys' ankles for no reason at the end of tackles, or or you know, just those little dives at knees at and ankles that Perfect always does, and he's just trying to hurt people, and that's why it's 
complete uh i can't swear at the show uh on the show as far as i know i think we have the clean moniker up there but uh yeah it's it's bs and and it's why he should have been suspended significantly numerous times over his career but I, I want to say one thing too about the pay. You mentioned uh, Hightower had a, a big play in this game. They've had a number yeah. of big plays at inside linebacker, and I think I don't know him at all. But my guess is Brian Flores, their linebackers coach, is a really good coach because those linebackers have a they've gotten better every year playing under him, the same staff, the same approach. Uh, B, they do a lot of the little things correctly, uh, gap integrity, there's an aggressiveness to them. And C, they all play the same way. Uh, stylistically, Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, they play the run the same way. They're different types of players in the past, of course, different talents. But the way they approach a game is just such a consistency, and that's a really well-done position in New England. And last week, I don't know, I hope, because uh, Collins didn't play in this game. And yeah. Freeney is on IR. So I'm guessing Landon Roberts had a bigger role, and I hope he did because I watched him on film against the Browns, and he looks every bit as good as Collins and Hightower in run defense. He's their sixth-round rookie. And so even the sixth-round rookie stepped in and looked phenomenal playing the same style as the starters, the higher-drafted veterans. Uh, Brian Flores is the guy who's coaching these guys, and my guess is he's one of the better linebacker coaches in the league. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta Roberts missed some time late in the game, if I remember correctly. And Okay, and, uh, but he was in I'd there. He, he, he did play. He was in there, and, and he is he is good. They That is a very good defense. And, uh, and both yep. defense played well today. The Bengals played well until the game got scummed up late. And, uh, and look, the Patriots participated in the scumming as well. Gronk was, was definitely instigating a little bit, and it was unbelievable. When you watch his game, Andy, when you watch the uh, tape later this week, I mean, at the end, it's just Gronk is just standing over dudes, just talking to them, and you see all these taunting flags being thrown. It's like this game's on the verge of a huge brawl, and these officials are just standing there not throwing flags. It's like this is the one time to throw these stupid taunting flags <laughs> to try and curb all this stuff. If they really want to curb, maybe. Uh, maybe. All right, hang on one second, Andy. We have all taken jobs to earn extra cash over the years. Back in the day, I uh, I was a sandwich artist, as they as they call it. I was a landscaper for a little bit, but I've got a better way. You can earn extra money on the side. It's so much easier today, thanks to Uber. Uber is the ultimate side hustle. Driving with Uber is a new way you can earn some extra cash whenever you want. We're not talking just another job. It's a totally flexible way to earn. You can turn it on and turn it off just like your car. If you have a few spare hours here and there, or if you're driving right now, you should be earning right now driving with Uber. Every day is a payday when you drive with Uber because you can cash out anytime you want with instant pay. Up to five times a day, no minimum amount required. So listen, if you enjoy earning extra cash, and we all do, there's something special you'd like to buy. We got the holidays coming up. Your car can start making you money. So go ahead, get your side hustle on. Sign up to drive with Uber today. Go to uber.com slash drive now. That's U-B-E-R dot com slash D-R-I-V-E-N-O-W. Uber.com slash drive now. Number five. Anyway, we'll go into uh, topic five. We will stay in the AFC East where the Buffalo Bills hosted uh they hosted Kaepernick 
back in the starting lineup this week with, with, with the Niners, and pretty much LaShawn McCoy stole the show. Not that Kaepernick was necessarily going to be the star of this game, but McCoy was was absolutely outstanding again, ends up with 140, bounces back from a scary, uh, turned out to be minor knee injury, but uh, goes 19 for 140, three touchdowns. Mm. Bills just keep on rolling. They win big in this one. And uh, I don't know. There's uh, it's a lot of good things happening in Buffalo right now, Andy. Well, they're 4-2. and two. They've won four games in a row now. And as we talked about last week, they're doing it by playing their style of football. And so when you're winning playing your style, and you're winning, in this case, so thoroughly, that's that's as good as it gets right there. And LaShawn McCoy has been a very valuable piece for them. And I think there are two players that clearly look more comfortable under Anthony Lynn, and that's Tyrod Taylor and LaShawn McCoy, your two mm-hmm. most important players. Yep. Well, they run away with this one, 45-16. If you are curious, Colin Kaepernick's final line was uh, 13 for 29 for 187 and a touchdown, took three sacks. Uh, That 187 was bolstered by a very badly blown coverage that led to an easy 53-yard touchdown for Torrey Smith. Well, kind of easy. It looked to me like Smith had quite a bit of an adjustment to make on that ball was. I I didn't want to say it. I didn't see the play, but it looked horrible. The throw was so wide open. It's one of those things where you, you don't want to risk sailing the throw. You don't want to send it a little bit high and, and you know, oh, crap, I just passed up a, a touchdown here. But, uh, yeah, it was not a it was not a good throw. Torrey Smith had to do some work after that one. It was uh, whatever. I, I didn't bother breaking down and seeing what happened with that coverage, but it was clearly it was clearly blown. There was no one within 30 yards of Torrey Smith when he caught the ball. But, uh, yeah, I know Kaepernick was was pretty much the exact same guy as he used to be. And one other storyline from that game that I completely forgotten about was the whole Chip Kelly, LaShawn McCoy thing got to rear its ugly head again, which it, that seems like it was just years ago now. You think Kelly regrets making that move? Because that was one that turned out that turned out to be flat out incorrect. He got rid of a, a, a tremendous yard-creating type running back and plugged in a uh, – power back who did not fit the system and DeMarco Murray there is no disputing that Kelly made a lot of wrong moves there personnel wise in Philadelphia McCoy was the most glaring of them I thought do you think Kelly regrets them do you think he looks at it in those terms now I don't know I mean you know he used to always say the the, what was the motto culture beats scheme Uh, to me that just sounds like I want my dudes in in my locker room and, and in my program and well what, and it would also yeah culture beat scheme and so does talent then yes because and so, <laughs> it does uh, yeah it's 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 all it's under the bridge now but uh kelly's in a different place mccoy's in a different place funny how fast the nfl changes too. one bad trade it, well it's more than one in kelly's case no. but that was the worst one and look what it did and a couple of years later these guys are playing each other in totally different teams totally different parts of the country yep now i mean uh i guess if you gave him the truth serum he'd have to say it that he regretted it because it's you know it's it was one of the big ones that ultimately cost him his job in philadelphia but uh yeah i don't know if the question is would he do it again if he had a uh, LaShawn McCoy type talent who he wasn't seeing eye to eye with or whatever the issue was in san francisco and and they actually let him run a guy like that out of town, I, I think he would do it again. Yeah. If it's a true LaShawn McCoy-type talent, you'd better be very, very careful on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, McCoy, look, McCoy's in the MVP conversation at this point. Yep. He is. He has been unbelievable the uh, the last couple weeks. The Bills, by the way, control their own destiny. If they win out, <laughs> they win the AFC East. Patriots can't do anything about it. It's good. Everything's good there. Number six. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's go. Topic six, and I want to talk about the Oakland Raiders a little bit. They, uh, you know, they were winning sort of. I I don't want to say sloppily. They were making things exciting that maybe shouldn't have been so exciting, but they were getting wins, and that's that's always a positive when you when you win games rather than lose them. But today they uh, they were pretty much outclassed at home by the Chiefs, who you figure is you know the Chiefs are going to be in that NF or excuse me AFC West conversation as well as the AFC Wild Card conversation along with the Raiders. This was not a good look for Oakland today. I guess my question is. I can't decide what I think of Derek Carr. And this goes back to last year where it, you know, it was encouraging what he was doing, but he just had these, he'd have these games. He'd have these moments where you just kind of watched him and it was kind of like, you know, I don't know if the Raiders are going to score many more points this game or this year or, or whatever it might be. And, and, you know, they always seem to figure it out in the end, but I don't know what, what, what do you think of Derek Carr at this point? And and uh, I don't know is is his performance matching the hype that is coming along with this Raiders team? Uh, probably not quite because I I think he's been uneven this season. No, I think that by a higher standard he's been uneven, and I think he's a guy you do hold to a little bit of a higher standard. He, the expectation with him, and it's a fair one is that he's going to become an upper echelon quarterback. Maybe not a, a first-tier elite is the word people like and hate, but uh, he, he you can win a division, certainly, and go a long way with Derek Carr as your, as your guy, as your franchise QB. That's the expectation. So by those standards, over the years, he's been a little bit inaccurate. Now, he's up, he's up to 66.8 com, uh, completion percentage this year. So some of that the accuracy has been cleaned up, but he'll have bouts of inaccuracy on in costly moments. He'll have, I think there are times two or three times a game. It seems like this year where he hasn't read the field clearly and it's been costly. Maybe you don't see it, the cost, but there's been a 30 yard completion available and he checks it down for eight yards, something like that. Uh, he hasn't played quite as on time either this year. And that goes along with that, with reading the field clearly. So there's a little bit of an unevenness to him. It has, hasn't been awful. He hasn't had a horrible game yet. He hasn't had a great game yet. He's had some big moments at the end of games, which is always nice. And when you have rough days, you can offset them with great moments at the end of games. And we're going to talk about another guy later who did the ultimate example of that in, in Houston. So there's overall, I think it's positive with Carr, but there's absolutely stuff that Todd Downing, their QB coach, and Bill Musgrave, their offensive coordinator, absolutely there's stuff they can be working very closely with him on because he's not playing up to the level he's capable of playing, which, again, I mean that as a compliment to him. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, uh, I mean, look, the, the defense continues to have its issues. They couldn't stop the run today. Buck 83 for the Chiefs running game. Uh, and, and, you know, if not for some shaky red zone possessions and, and a missed chip shot by Cairo Santos, this one might have gotten out of hand a little bit more. But, yeah, the, the Raiders had scored on their first possession, so this one was basically a complete blowout after after mm-hmm. that. No, uh, nothing good going down for the Raiders, but they'll uh, 
know, they'll have a chance to grow and, and recoup, and, and we'll see. This uh, this AFC West race is going to get more and more interesting as the year goes on. All right, before we move ahead, Andy, we are just about in mid-season here. And look, it's been a great season so far, but maybe you want to make things a little more interesting. Why don't you get in the action and play like the pros at mybookie.net. It is the most exciting online experience for sports fans. MyBookie features real Vegas odds and incredible player props on every football game. Did your game already kicked off? That's all right. MyBookie has live in-game odds updated in real time. Maybe you could have made some money off of uh, Brock Osweiler on Sunday. Never too late to make a play, plus it's optimized for smartphone users for nonstop action on the go. So go online, type MyBookie into your browser, and sign up today. Use the promo code 10THINGS, that's 10THINGS, to be entered into their million-dollar prize pool, or call 844-722-2387. Join the thousands of online players already playing only the biggest, only the best, only at MyBookie. Sign up today. Number 7. All right, Andy. Topic 7 here. Let's move on to the AFC South, because... When your primetime ratings are not ideal, you can always pump them up with an AFC South matchup. That's what we had this week for the NFL. Colts at Texans, overtime game, marathon game. That's why we're taping so late tonight. But yeah, uh, one, you, one, again, you almost ruined for me. So we'll we'll talk about this, but I, I disagree. I disagree. I thought I was very thoughtful earlier tonight. But, uh, yeah, it was... I mean, look, I thought Brock Osweiler might get cut at halftime. I thought they might just eat the rest of that contract and just, just go without him and uh, just, just bring up someone from the practice squad to cover kicks or something. But he pulled it out in the end. Oh, How much of it was time. big time. Yeah. He, I mean, he look, played it, really well in the end. And that touchdown to Fedorowicz was as impressive as it gets on two fronts. Uh, one, it was a, a tight window throw. This is the game-tying touchdown now. It was a tight window throw that if you're off a half a second, even less than that, a tenth of a second or a tenth of an inch here or there, it's not going to be complete. So he nailed it. It's a big-time throw. Yeah. But, two, that's the same exact throw that he threw an interception on targeting uh, Jalen Strong against the Vikings the previous week. And it was a bad decision then that he threw that one. And this one, even though it's the same throw – and it was the same coverage, which was two man, so two safeties over the top, man to man underneath. And the reason you don't want to throw down the middle of the field against that is you got both safeties there in theory, and the tailgating defender underneath. So there's almost no window at all. Uh, but in this case, you had to make the throw given the situation, or he felt he had to, and you can get away with it if you throw a perfect ball. And that's what he did. So I think it takes a lot of courage to come back and make a throw on the very scenario that you threw an ugly interception on the previous week because you felt the situation this week demanded you make that you yeah. make that play. And he did it. It was really good. That and the Lamar Miller touchdown was another outstanding Lamar Miller touchdown effort. Was, yeah, that was that was incredible. Uh, Lamar I, Miller just just did a, it was a Bo Jackson Tech Mobile type of run, yeah, although it, it was only over like a fourteen yard. Uh, it's what but... schoolyard like. Whenever you play, when you're kids and you play, and the one who's better than everybody does that. That's it looked like a, a schoolyard type of touchdown. He's yeah. just going to run away from people now. Yep. That was the play. Yep, 
I will say on on the Fedorowitz, the only thing I'll say on that Fedorowitz touchdown is uh, Mike Adams, boy, got there late and then somehow managed to miss both the ball and the player. On he the, just uh, missed it. Yep. Uh, how did as, he miss as, everything though? Well, remember the old on the Madden video game, they had had Madden would come in with an automated thing. He'd said like twelve things he'd say, and one of them was, "There's no defense for a perfect throw." <laughs> That's that was pretty not good. my Madden impression either. That was just my, <laughs> I, would... I wasn't trying to do Madden, but I was wanting you to know that was a computer voice talking. Yes, this was Madden 2002, which is the last time I played Madden. I think that sounds about right. I think like no 09 was the last one I, I played. Okay, but no uh, yeah, it was. Throw. I'm just saying, Adams on that play though. It's one thing to not break up the pass, but how do you completely miss the man? On the tackle, I mean, well, he, if he's he going, makes the he tackle, it's the still ball. a game. He was making a play on the ball. He, he was way too was late, the, he, way no, too he, late he, to get the ball. Yeah, I get. I understand the critique. I, I think if I'm ranking what happened on that play in order of significance on the play's outcome, number one is the perfect throw. Yes, it was and a very a good distant throw. Distant number wanna, two is Adams' timing. He probably wants something back there, but uh, I'm going to stick with I, the Madden no defense for a perfect throw. <laughs> You know, in overtime, I loved that uh, Jalen Strong catch on the sideline. I, I thought, oh, that was, that was uh, big time. The throw was there, and and for Strong to stay in bounds, I mean, he was tight roping that sideline for like the entire route, and for him to to hold on and stay in bounds was uh was just a great play. It was good offense versus good defense. Offense won because Melvin had yep. good coverage on that play as well, and that could have easily. There's another one that could have gone a different direction, an inch here, an inch there, and. Strong made a big-time play. I think the more we talk about this one, Gary, it's going to feel like the Colts blew it because they were up 14 with four minutes left. It feels like the Texans actually won it. They made some huge plays, contested catches, contested run-after catches. Their defense stepped up. The Colts didn't just sit on the ball and run you know, up the A gaps and yeah. try to punt and run the clock. They played. They made. A, they played. They tried to throw play action. They got defeated. Andrew Luck got uh, sacked. I think it was uh, on the on the blitz by Hal. I, the Texans, I think, won this game more than the Colts lost it. I'll say a little, little from column A, little from column B. Oh, absolutely. And if you're the Colts, you go in and you say we lost it on tomorrow, and that's how you uh, analyze it. But I, I I just think the Texans had some impressive plays down the stretch, and especially given the way the game had gone and the flow of it or lack thereof, mm-hmm. to find yourselves like that late, I, I, I liked I was very impressed with this performance, and this changes the Brock Osweiler narrative just in time, too, because he's headed back to Denver now. And by the way, yeah. we need to get Richard Deitch on this show and explain to me why it is that the team that plays on Sunday night seems to play the next Monday night or vice versa every week. These primetime games, it's one team or the others. Always, like Arizona's on Monday night this week. They're the Sunday night game next week. Denver and, and Houston's next week's Monday night game. Houston was on We see primetime back-to-backs all the time with one team. I don't know why that is. I don't like That's it That's a little weird. I don't it know happens if Di- all the time. Yeah. Dyche would have to know. It's his job. Well, I was gonna say I don't know if Deitch will. I don't know if we can get him for this show. Oh yeah, no, might yeah, have to, I think you might part. have to write into his podcast yeah. and uh, hope he answers we... your question. Spe- <laughs> Speaking of which, Andy, number eight. 
We're going to introduce a new uh, a new segment here for Topic 8. This is going to be, uh, for lack of a better title at this point, we'll just call it The Mailbag. And okay. I'll get my keytar out next week, and I'll write a little theme song for it. We have, but we uh, these people sent in questions to us. How did they do it? Via Twitter? Via Twitter. Yeah, you can you can tweet at Andy underscore Benoit. You can tweet at Gramling underscore SI. You can tweet at both of us. It helps if you put the hashtag MMQB podcast mail. We might need a better hashtag as well. That seems Just a little bit Just do MMQB likey. podcast. Oh, I guess we have other ones now, don't we? So we have to do 10 yeah, things podcast. Yeah. Stupid Peter and Albert Breer taking <laughs> podcast time. <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll jump into these. We'll get to as many of these as we can. Uh, we're going to start with Brad Hirsch at bhirsch34. Thoughts on the Bills? Is this the year they go to the playoffs? Uh, the short answer is yes. I guarantee it. Get your playoff tickets right now. Although they won't <laughs> play at home because they're going to be a wild card. So you're going to have to go... Uh, you're also going to have to book some travel. Just buy flights out to, I don't know, Denver, Kansas City, Oakland, uh, I don't know, Pittsburgh, I guess. Yeah, okay. you're going to have to figure that out. But, uh, yeah, I, did, I, I think they have a very good chance of making it, especially with the AFC North collapsing a little bit. And if the Raiders fall off, there's going to be a wild card spot for the taking for a 9 or 10 win team. And I, I think that very well could be the Bills. It's it's not a terribly difficult schedule from here on in. Uh, I have trouble with these forecasting type of questions. I think they're a, a team that's won four games in a row playing their style of football. They ought to feel very good like that. And uh, there's 10 more games to sort this out as I duck Brad's question. There you go. But you, I knew you'd take that one. You got that one anyway. What's the next one? I did. I did. This is from Jason Breaker at Jason underscore Breaker. I know the Packers offense is awful, but could you see Clay Matthews being cut in 2017? My personal answer is no, because I, I think when he's healthy, he has too much value, too much versatility, even at the price tag he's at at this point. They, they can get out of it for a reasonable amount of, of dead cap space after the season, but uh, I think he stays barring a catastrophic injury. Clay Matthews will be tw- uh, 31 years old in 2017, and his cap hit will be 15.2 million. So if you got rid of him, it'd be 4.1 million of dead money. So you save 11 million essentially. I think the, I, I would think they'd keep him. He hasn't been as productive this season, but what you said is is absolutely right, Gary. And he's a guy that you can move around. They do a lot with inside blitz designs. He's a very good inside blitzer. There's not an offense in the league that even if he doesn't, let's say he doesn't post a sack for eight more weeks, there's not an offense in the league that's not going to spend a little extra time game planning for him still. So I think they would keep him after this season. Um I would be surprised if they got rid of I don't think he's slowing down or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree. Uh, this is coming from at Russell Bowman 6. What are the chances the Falcon Seahawks crew is disciplined over the game-ending PI non-call? I would normally say no chance because it just wasn't that badly blown a call. It was a blown call, but we've seen worse. But the NFL, in, in all facets of their business they just seem to react to public outrage more than yep, any sort do. of consistency or fairness uh, as far as these things go so hey maybe we will well and but in this case they, they see they react uh, like on the bounty gate thing with the saints a few years ago 
that was a total reaction to public outrage. They put the Bounty yeah. Gate news out on a Friday. They said, let's just sit here and see what happens, and then we'll decide a punishment. Because there was no reason to not have the punishment already teed up when the league released its own investigation. So they wanted to see the public's response. Same with some, some of these, uh, I hate to say it, but these domestic violence issues, it's a little bit of that too. This is different, though, because if they react to the public outrage of the referees, that all they do is promote more public outrage of referees. If they think that we can make a difference by, by talking, if fans can get in an uproar and the referees get disciplined because of it, then the focus goes on to the referees, and that's the last thing the league wants because refereeing is boring. We don't want to see it. We just want to move on from it. So you know, I would I, be surprised if they do discipline this crew. I actually thought it was a great point up until they don't want the folks on the referees <laughs> because the way they're you emphasizing they taunting calls and, and all the ridiculous oh. <laughs> uh, you know, sort of additional flags being thrown well, this year, it, because it seems like they want it back on into, referees. They don't want it to be any given Sunday either where, they, where guys c- celebrate and it gets out of control. So it's they want football. They want the focus <laughs> yeah. to be on football. Sometimes football and sometimes what they sell they in advertising. Uh, and we we have two last ones here. These are both going to be Packers questions, which we promised at the top of the show. Uh, one is coming from at Rainbow Cave. At no, it's just Rainbow Cave, and it's at I am Rain, Rainbow Cave is the handle. Why wasn't Lacey in the game on first and goal on that Rodgers fumble? Uh, they went empty and ran a quarterback draw. Aaron Rodgers ended up coughing it up, and, and that was a disastrous play and what was a terrible game for the Packers. Uh, the only thing I will say is when you have Aaron Rodgers, you can you can trust him on a play like that, you would think. If it was mm-hmm. Rodgers or yeah. a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady, you know that, that's not a play you, you run with every quarterback, but you figure – Nothing horrible is going to happen with Aaron Rodgers, but that's how the well, day but went. But he's been so tentative lately, and he was tentative on that as well. But the reason he was tentative, and I don't know the Lacey thing. Lacey was battling an ankle. They, yeah, they yeah, I think. To, yep. Yeah, and Green Bay does. They do personnel packages in waves, so they like to keep the the same group of players in for four snaps in a row, and they run their plays out of packages. Would be my guess. So if Lacey wasn't in for that little package, that little spurt, that was that's just how it went. Uh, it works for them more often than it doesn't work for them. But I was a little surprised they ran QB draw there because what the Cowboys had been doing, they'd been spying Rodgers all game on third downs, and this was not a third down, I grant you, but they'd been spying and they'd been keeping a free defender in the middle of the field. So, But the spy plus the free man defender in the middle of the field, it was usually Sean Lee. That's two linebackers whose job all game long was just to stand in the middle of the field and watch the quarterback. So a QB yeah. draw there is not going to work unless yep. you can get bodies clean to them. But in that case, it's it, that didn't work out that way. It wasn't the best call to do that is, is what I'm getting. You want you want zone defenders for QB draw more than you want those kind of man defenders. So I didn't yeah. like the call either. It's easy to say that after a guy fumbles, but uh, I thought it was a curious decision, especially the way they've been rolling offensively at that point and we'll go one last question here front of the show sam this is at mccready sam do either of you think the packers can fix the offense without sacking mike mccarthy uh andy i'll I'll let you give a focused answer i have a very general answer which i may or may not share i would i'm never going to come on and say a coach deserves to be fired um one thought that did hit me today in the middle of this game, it's, and so this is why we included this question, is I thought 
you know what, Rodgers to me looks like a guy who could use a system overhaul, kind of like Eli Manning got with Ben McAdoo mm-hmm. a few years ago. And it's really helped Manning. Not that he needed the help, but it's just it was a refreshing of his, of where he was. I think Rodgers could use a refreshing, something to instill some discipline into him, because it's it, if they don't do it, it's fine. But I I wouldn't think it's the worst thing if they found the right scenario there. Yeah. No, I I think uh, I think McCarthy's in a in a tough spot right now, and even if he repairs this thing. I mean, look, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much longer McCarthy's going to coach or how much longer Rodgers is going to well, play. Well, he's not. McCarthy, th- th- these guys are not old. McCarthy's, McCarthy's not old. I mean, Rodgers, you figure, is going to have up to five more years of his prime. and That's a long time. All that's the, a long In football, that's a long time. McCarthy yes. would be there for 15 years by that point. He's been there like 10 years now. I just feel like McCarthy is in a place, and this is – I wrote a little bit about – uh, this in in my Sunday column without really going into too much detail, but he's getting very surly with the why is everyone questioning our offense type of thing, and he, I think he's just putting himself in a bad spot where I think he was very instrumental in building up Aaron Rodgers into what he is. Obviously, I mean he, he was a head coach there, but I, I I don't think Aaron Rodgers is the player he is without Mike McCarthy. But I think once Rodgers is done, if the struggles continue with this offense, it's very easy to look at McCarthy and say, oh, well, he was, you know, Rodgers was quarterback. Of course, he had success back then. Yeah. But, you know, it turned out he couldn't coach, which I think is unfair. But I feel like he's sort of setting himself up for that narrative at that at this point. And I'm all about narrative because I'm a lazy media guy. There you go. Yep. But Andy, we have one more thing before we move on to topic nine. Uh, We had one other poll. We asked about the C.J. Mosley play. And what the rules should be, and he had suggested the oh, inverse touchback last week. This is where Mosley f- returned an interception and fumbled it into it's, the end zone and Washington it's the, gained yards. Yes, if a loss fumble goes out of bounds in the end zone unrecovered, it goes to the opponent at the twenty yard line as a touchback. Uh, we ask you what the rules should be. Forty six percent of you like the current rule, or at least voted for it. I can't imagine anyone likes it. Twenty four percent said. Offense retains it at the fumble spot. 27% back it up to the 20 for the offense. Andy's inverse touchback rule. 3%. There were actually some good ones in the 3%. Uh, you can track down the tweet if you want to see all of them, which, which is a good idea. But, uh, yeah, this was since since uh, we got 51% on new rules, uh, according to our Constitution, that uh, that is the winner. We will have to change the rule. We'll have some sort of runoff later. And then we will send the competition committee uh, our demands. Well, there's no, there's no if, if you're changing it, then the change is that the ball goes to the defense, right? Because that's that's the change. And then it's a matter of where does the ball, where should the defense get the ball? No, but the ball doesn't go to the defense. Ball stays. It's retained. Yeah, I, but I thought you said 51% want to change the rule. Yeah. Ball the go, current okay, rule I mean, is. The ball stays. With, I, I meant goes like stays. Like the defense gets an interception, they keep the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not talking about just it. I'm talking any fumble out of the end zone. Oh, I see. All right. Well, whatever. Andy, whatever. you have to inform yourself with the uh, with the issues here. I thought Mosley made a very nice play on that one, and Cousins yes. made the wrong type of throw, and I, I didn't think it was the best decision by Cousins. I look at this stuff analytically. However they <laughs> do the rules, they do the rules. I think, I, yeah, whatever. I've lost interest. Lightning round. <laughs> I was going to say, your inverse touchback just took the world by storm, and now you're... You're just backing off the whole thing. It was thing. two weeks ago. I forgot about the play. <laughs> Number nine. All right. Well, let's go on to topic nine, the lightning-ish round. 
We're going to try and do it lightning style this week. Andy, we're going to start with the Bears who blow a game at home to the Jaguars because that's just what the Bears do these days. But my question is, Brian Hoyer, fourth straight 300-yard game. These are completely empty calorie games. They're not scoring many points. They're not converting third downs. or losing at home to the Jaguars. That said, who should be the quarterback going forward when Cutler's thumb is healthy? I say Jay Cutler, and it's not even a conversation. Andy, what say you? Uh, I would lean Brian Hoyer, I think. Based on how he's played the last few weeks, I haven't seen the Jaguars game yet, but uh, he played on time and on schedule against the Colts. He did have that last play. It was a bad one. Uh, he misread the coverage, and he should have gone to Alshon Jeffrey one-on-one. He should have known it was game. man coverage when he saw them rotate to a single high safety. Uh, but that was that was really his only bad play that came at the worst time against the Colts. I think there's more of a consistency down-to-down down with Hoyer. Everyone plays on time against the I Colts, like so. Cutler, too, by the way. So if they kept Cutler, I'm not going to throw a fit. I think he's a good player. But Cutler has not been an on-schedule, on-time quarterback this no. season, and Hoyer has been. So I think coaches would feel more comfortable with Hoyer. Uh, Got to stay Cutler. Uh, Eagles, Redskins. Uh, yeah, this was a, a nice little win for Washington. Another bad pick six for Kirk Cousins, but they, they worked through it. Great day for the running game. Uh, my question to you, Carson Wentz, they, they blitzed him an awful lot, and for the second straight game, Wentz was not as sharp as he had been in the first three. Is this a uh, you know is this going to be an issue for Wentz going forward? No, the blitzing has been something Washington has actually done each each of the past three weeks with increasing success and probably frequency. Blitzing and what goes hand in hand with it is man coverage, and they've done more of that as well. So Washington's defense—it was the most static zone defense in the league last year. That's it looks like that's not going to continue to be the case. They're changing their M.O. And Carson Wentz, if blitzing is the blueprint, uh, his other loss was against the Lions, and they don't blitz hardly at all, and they didn't blitz him very much. I don't think – I think this is more about Washington and what they did tactically. All right. Uh, down in Miami, Steelers just totally bomb against the Dolphins. This was a 30-15 uh, to 15 win for the Dolphins. Probably the biggest upset of the day, but the big news was Ben Roethlisberger, torn meniscus, uh, your 425 window game, that late window national game, is going to be completely ruined next week because it's going to be Landry Jones leading the Steelers against the Patriots down in uh, Heinz Field. But I don't know. I mean, if Roethlisberger is going to miss, they had the bye week after uh, after the Patriots, I believe. If he's going to miss maybe one more game, uh, is there any chance they can beat a middling NFL team with Landry Jones under center? Oh, sure. Yeah, Landry Jones is not a horrible player, and he's been there a little while. So He has. Yeah, they can. I remember last year when Vic was in, and then they put Landry Jones in in place of Vic. It was like, I was watch, gonna like, s- it's like the offense took a shower. It's like, oh, hey, they're playing football again. They were so I was much say, better with It Landry was Jones. better. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I forgot about the Michael Vick era last year. Yeah. Now, they're, now having said that, Landry. they're also so much better with Roethlisberger, so let's hope he gets healthy yeah. soon. He's played pretty well over his career when he's not healthy, so I'm not super worried about him. But, uh, yeah. yeah, a tough day for Pittsburgh, a team that seems to kind of, and I know their quarterback got hurt in this one, but a team that tends to play down to its competition a few times a year too. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, they have a Patriots next week, then bye, then at Ravens, and then they host the Cowboys. So Ben's got to get well soon. Uh, yeah, Rams go to Detroit. Nice win for the Lions here. Case Keenum was sharp for the most part. Uh, 
both offensive moving the ball through the air, and, and it just turns out the Lions come up with a win here. I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this game, Andy. I think if you're the Rams, you got to be pretty disappointed that Case Keenum completes as many passes as he did. That's been your issue is your passing game, and you don't come out with the victory the here. Win. Now you're at 3-3. Three and three. Yep. Yeah, the uh, the Titans get another win here. Titans are, are quietly sneaking up in that terrible AFC South division, but they uh, they hold off the Browns, who are game again, but come up short. It looks like they're opening things up a little bit for Marcus Mariota. Is that something you've uh, you've seen in them? The situation at times has demanded they open up. They've had some two-minute situations, and Mariota's been good in those. They've spread out, and Mariota's played the style that I think he needs to be playing. They have run the ball fairly well as well, though, the last few weeks. So yeah. I'm not a big fan of that approach, but that does fit their personnel aside from their QB. It fits their backs. It fits their receivers. It fits their offensive line. So maybe I need to pump the brakes a little bit on my skepticism of Mike Malarkey's offense here because it's starting to come together a little better. I think ultimately, though, you need to build around Mariota. And if yeah. you're going to do that, you're going to have to run a, a finesse type of offense. Yeah. And uh, lastly, in the lightning round, Odell Beckham saves New York. He uh, just had a couple of huge, long run-after-catch plays in this game. Giants end up pulling it out uh, against the Ravens in what was a pretty interesting back-and-forth game. And it was one where the Giants once again looked like they were going to collapse. And you started to wonder if Ben McAdoo might be a one-and-done type of situation in New York. But they... uh, they end up uh, salvaging this game and win it 27-23. Uh, I'll just – well, no. First, I'll, I'll ask you. I don't know. What, what do you think of this McAdoo offense, Andy? It's the same one as Green Bay's, but the difference is it plays on schedule and it has receivers who can win against man coverage, and we saw that with Odell Beckham. So it's uh, when that offense is functioning at its highest, it's a catch-and-run offense, and that's when Green Bay was at their best, and Beckham's biggest plays in this game came on catches and runs after the catch. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to mention, and I know you love talking penalties, but Andy, you have to see this play. You have to see this pass interference call on Dominique Rogers Cromartie because it is, and I'm not exaggerating here, it is the worst call I have ever seen. And I thought about that because I didn't want to hyperbolize when I got onto the show, but this was the worst flag ever thrown in NFL history. Well, if that's the case, then that... In theory, we don't need to talk about any more penalties on this podcast for the rest of the season. Then, <laughs> well, right? until we it's just, topped. That, we just got to the end point. Until it is topped later. And it was it, the guy who threw it was back judge Steve Freeman. He was a uh, defensive back for the Bills for a long time. You figure he would have a little more respect for defensive <laughs> give back us, play. Give us his home address, would you, Gary? Do you have that information? No, uh, well? no we'll, we'll get that on, uh, on next judge. show. Naming the back judge. Wow. Okay. He's a professional, Andy. And he I, threw the I, I, worst I agree. I flag agree. Worst in call NFL history. Seen. Absolutely worse. Number 10. Awards time, Andy. Offensive a, player of the week. Who, uh, what, who are you going with? Why don't you kick us off on this? Okay, well, I'll give it to, uh, I'll, I'll give it to Odell Beckham Jr. Because he went for uh, 222 today. All of them huge. 127 coming after the catch. Just a uh, a monster day. Plus, he's my daughter's favorite player, and and it was her birthday recently. So, I will give him this tremendous award, and and it will make her happy if she ever listens to the show. 
I'm gonna go. How old's your daughter, real quick? Uh, five. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Lamar Miller and Houston. Not just a big touchdown at the end of the one. game, but the way he ran, the way he got to the perimeter against, albeit a, a not a great Colts front seven, but he took over that game when they needed it at, at critical moments. And uh, so I'm going Lamar Miller, a big, solid, good, solid player for Houston. He didn't have a run over 15 yards coming into this game, which surprised me because he's been running pretty effectively. Yeah. I think he, he didn't have a touchdown two, coming into this game. Did he really? He had two or three meaningful plays in this one statistically, and he gave him a sustainable ground game. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, defensive player of the week, I am going Dante Hightower of the Patriots. He had uh he was around the ball game, ended up with thirteen tackles, had a had a sack and a half. He had the big uh you know, Andy Dalton's pretty slippery. He uh he pulled Dalton down for the safety, which kinda turned the momentum of this game. The the Bengals were leading at that point and uh it was all Patriots after that. But uh yeah, he was uh he was just all over the place today. I'm going to go B.W. Webb for the Saints, which probably seems nuts because he's a number three cornerback on a bad secondary mm-hmm. on a team that gave up 38 points and probably should have blown the game at home. But there were a number of times that he flashed on the screen making the good plays, downfield solo stops. He had an excellent run defense on a Ted Ginn end around that he sniffed out. I didn't see every snap because you can't see everything a cornerback does. Maybe he's to blame for some of the coverage issues. I know he made a handful of big stops, though, in a game where those probably wound up being the difference. The difference between 38 points and 50 points. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm always shocked that B.W. Webb is not on the Steelers because, like Mike Tomlin, he's a William and Mary guy. Okay. I just figured, how does Tomlin not get his hands on that guy? Uh, special teams player of the week. Best part of the show. I'm giving it to Will Lutz, the Saints kicker, for... Uh, uh, for coming back after he missed the 50, what was a 53 yarder early on, and he ends up banging through the 52 yarder to win it at the end of the game. So I will give it to him. I'm going to go Nick Novak of the Texans, uh, not because he hit the game winner, but because a few years ago he took a piss on the sidelines of an NFL <laughs> yes. game and got away with it. <laughs> That's right. That was a great moment in uh, special teams and a great moment to special team player of the week to follow it up. Uh, Coach of the week, I'm going to give it to Jason Garrett. I gave it to Marinelli last week. I'll give it to Garrett this week. Uh, You know, they they dominated both sides of the ball in this game, and uh, I really liked when they turned it on at the end of the first half. It looked like they were trying to run out the clock, and then they ran that little end around to Lucky Whitehead. I'm sure that's a lot of Scott Linehan in that, but uh, the fact that they just went for it, and then two plays later they were in the end zone at the end of the half when it looked like they were just taking a knee, that's a uh, that's quite a quite a thing to do, and obviously, hey, Cowboys are playing as well as anyone in football right now. So, Jason Garrett, you get the award from me, buddy. And I will go with Sean Payton and Pete Carmichael Jr., the uh, offensive brain trust of the New Orleans Saints. Probably throw Drew Brees into there, I guess, too. <laughs> um, He's not coach of the week. The He's way, not a coach. The the way they took advantage of Carolina's weaknesses, and that's a division rival. You ought to know your division rival's weakness, and you ought to be able to take advantage of it, and that's what they did. 
All right, Andy, that's going to do it for the week six show. Thanks, as always, to our researcher, Jeff Irwin, and to the wonderful folks at Digital Media who always make us sound good. And thank you guys for listening to this episode of the MMQB 10 Things podcast. You really are the best. As always, you can reach me or Andy anytime on Twitter, Andy underscore Benoit or Gramling underscore SI. We're also on Facebook. Very available. We love hearing from you. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, MyBookie.net and Uber. They are the best. Please support them the way they support our show. Remember to listen and subscribe to new and archived episodes of the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer, the MMQB podcast with Peter King, and this podcast, the MMQB 10 Things podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, including the MMQB.com, SI.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast providers. We will see you guys next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.